What I would like to do is um, start with our scripture reading, and I'm going to read from the, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 39 through 49. In the context, you know Mary has just been told by Gabriel that she is going to give birth to the, to the Messiah. She has beautifully responded by saying, I am the handmaiden of the Lord, let it be done to me according to thy word. And Luke writes, At that time Mary got readied and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. A couple weeks ago, I um, had the opportunity to take my mother. It was my mother's birthday, and I took her out for dinner. So I just wanted to do this, me and her. And uh, she got to select the restaurant. And uh, you know, she's not an expensive person, and she brought a coupon with her. <laughs> and uh, when the bill cut came, it was a total of $19 with the coupon. So we did not go to Angelo's Prime. But when the bill came, I saw my mother reach for her pocketbook. I said, Mom, what are you doing? She goes, let's split it 50-50. I said, Mom, this is your birthday dinner. She goes, all right, how about if I get the tip? I said, Mom, I'm not a paper boy for the Gazette anymore. Mom, I can afford to take you to 99 for dinner. Okay. So we, we navigated that moment. And it was later I realized, you know, how cool is that? Because she's always going to see me as that boy. No matter what happens in my life, no matter what I may accomplish or what I won't accomplish, no matter what others might think about me, she's the one person on the planet that looks at me with a very different set of eyes. I'm her son. I'll always be this boy to her. And I realize in the moment how precious that is. And rather than letting it be frustrating, I need to celebrate it, especially as we get older. Because it won't always be there. And you young people in particular, your mom sees you as only she can see you. And there will be times where that drives you nuts like it made me crazy in 99. <laughs> Embrace it. It doesn't last forever. No one, no one, no one can ever see you like that, the way your mother sees you. I say all that to say when we talk about Mary, that's how she saw Jesus. You see, we look back over time and Jesus is our Savior. He's the, the Son of God. And so we celebrate and we reflect upon Christmas appropriately through the lens of, of who He is. But if we really want to get into the Scriptures and, and let them come alive, let us not forget that for, for Mary, Jesus is her boy. 
She can only see him through the mother's eyes. And that, that makes things very different, right? We encounter that Mary has received these series of promises that are pretty exciting and pretty positive. The angel Gabriel, who, who stood in God's presence, says to her, you are highly favored. The, the Lord is with you. Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And, and Mary, I think, is caught up in these, these strings of blessedness that are coming her way. And she declares in what's called the Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Right? It's pretty exciting for Mary. Oh, it's almost like she has, she has uncovered the Aladdin's lamp of blessing. Now, no doubt things are going to start getting really good for her, right? Well, let's see what happens. And in a very compelling line after Gabriel speaks to her, it says the angel left her. That's profound because that was her last word from the angel. Now she's got to live this out. In real time. So let's see what happens after all these promises of blessing. Well, her pregnancy becomes apparent and she's ostracized. She's a shameful woman in the village, right? Because she's had an illegitimate child. Joseph was going to divorce her. But God sent an, an angel to Joseph in a dream and said she's telling the truth. But I think Joseph's the only one in Nazareth that got that dream. Everybody else was left to conclude what we would all conclude. She was immoral, unfaithful, illegitimate. Then towards the end of the pregnancy, there's this crazy decree from Caesar. Not easy to be a subject people when a mighty empire rules over you. And they have to, to go about 90 miles to Bethlehem. So, so Mary goes, very pregnant. All right, they get there. Now, i got to believe Mary's thinking, okay, I know it's crowded, but come on. There's no way God doesn't have a room for us. I mean, the angel said this was the Son of God. Now, Mary has to be thinking God's going to miraculously open up. The, the innkeeper's going to look at his book and say, oh my gosh, a room just opened up. It doesn't happen. She gives birth to her son in a, in a cave. Lays him in a manger. Soon after the birth, Matthew tells us, an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream. Get up! Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So she has to get up with this newborn and go into Egypt. She's, she's, a, she's a refugee. They're fugitives. We've got we to keep that image in mind when we talk about refugee crisis. Very easy to, to make it theoretical. But the Holy Family, they were fugitives. They were refugees in a foreign country. Then, then I'm sure she hears that Herod slaughters the babies of Bethlehem. Every boy two years and under is, is brutally murdered by Herod. And Mary hears this and gets winds of this. And wow, it's a tough beginning. Well, they, they make their way back to Nazareth, and no doubt Jesus is a wonderful son, and that, that truly is blessedness to, to raise Jesus. 
But he does different things, like the scene in the temple where he disappears, and Mary says, son, how could you do this to us? Your father and I have been looking all over for you. And he responds, well, why were you looking for me? Don't you know I have to be in my father's house? But he's a good son. But he becomes an adult, and he leaves. He tells her in words she still really can't quite understand. I have to go do my father's will. Well, she gets these reports about him, and the day comes that her son returns to Nazareth. It's, it's a homecoming. Now, now, view this scene again through a mother's eyes. There's, there's stories about her son. There's an excitement. And my son is coming home. What mother wouldn't be thrilled and expectant by, by what's going to happen? And then she, he's going to speak in the synagogue. And so there is a motherly excitement, right? And Jesus speaks in the synagogue. And the townspeople are so angry that they run him out of town and even try to push him off a cliff. Again, look at that through Mary's eyes. Her own townspeople just wanted to kill her son. And he has to leave. But Mary stays. There's more stories about Jesus. The family divides and even turns against him for a while. And then there's Jerusalem and the cross. And she's at the cross. And she watches her son naked, mocked, tortured, crucified. No, no miraculous intervention. No great ending. He dies. The words of Simeon to Mary, your own heart, a sword shall pierce. It's not an easy assignment to be the mother of the man of sorrows. It's utter and total heartbreak for Mary. And we go back to the words spoken earlier. Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Blessed are you among women. All generations will call me blessed. It doesn't make sense. There's really only two possibilities. Either Gabriel and Elizabeth and Mary were wrong. She really isn't blessed. Or God has a different definition of what it means to be blessed. So what does it mean to be blessed? I know what my definition is, and maybe yours as well. Blessed is when everything works out, when it goes smooth, when I win, when I'm successful and loved and appreciated, and when this is happening to everyone I love as well. So a blessed Christmas is one in which things are just as I would want them to be, from the weather to the gifts to the quality of the food to who's around my table and what kind of attitudes do they have. It's the right circumstances define blessedness. In contrast, God tells us blessedness is not found in your circumstances, but the fact that I am with you in your circumstances. You will have difficulties and discouragements and heartbreak and loss, but I love you. I will not leave you. And I will turn your sorrow into joy. Your sorrow is for a season, but the joy I give is forever. And I promise, I promise, you will look back and say it was all worth it. So Jesus could say, blessed are the poor in spirit. 
Blessed are those who mourn. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and think of Mary and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. That's the story of Mary. It can be our story as well. You see, the fact is, and we know this, that God's ways are different than ours. His kingdom operates under different principles than the world does. And that's a challenge for us because we're in both places. You know, short be, until we get to heaven, we're kind of caught in this crossfire between the, the kingdom of the world and the, the currents of our culture and the kingdom of God and his currents. And we're trying to navigate this. And sometimes we're influenced, we have to admit, we're influenced by both. And discipleship is increasingly trying to, to embrace God's ways and not the culture's ways. But we have to be honest, we're influenced by our culture, right? And our culture is very different than the culture we're reading about. I mean, the name for Mary was Madonna, the Madonna. Well, all, our culture has a Madonna, too. <laughs> the first Madonna, when her father asked her to do something, said, let it be done to me according to thy word. I am your handmaiden. Our Madonna says, Papa, don't preach. <laughs> Big difference. Our culture doesn't want to dare to enter pain and loss. We're, we're seeking a blessedness, as I described it. Even look at our holidays, and I'm talking about our secular holidays. Look at Memorial Day. Memorial Day was a day designed to stop and think about the men and women who gave their lives in service of their country. It's a day to dare to look at death and what sometimes brave people have to do for things like freedom. And we've made it a party weekend. It's the kickoff of summer. Now, I'm not against having a picnic on Memorial Day, but why are we afraid to spend a day looking at death and sacrifice? You see, in God's kingdom, there's a blessedness by being willing to do that and everything doesn't have to be, that stuff doesn't have to be put aside and let's have a party. And a Christian Memorial Day weekend doesn't mean that we don't drink as much or we're not excessive in our partying. Perhaps it means that God, because blessedness is deeper than circumstances, we dare to look at these things, right? Look at, look at our other holidays. Same thing with Independence Day. We've gone from sacrifice and they pledge their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors to let's have a party. I remember Veterans Day. I remember um, having a guy at the mission. He was a Vietnam vet, had been severely damaged physically by Agent Orange, had trouble breathing. And one day he was working in our thrift store in Route 50, and it was Veterans Day. And there were a lot of high school students in the store, and they, they were great. But he said to me, he goes, why are all these kids here? I said, oh, no, it's Veterans Day. They, they have the day off. And he kind of just looked at me and said, oh. And I said, wow, that's odd. The Vietnam veteran was working. And the kids get the day off. Right? Something's wrong with this holiday. Right? And in fact, if you were to say in our culture, there's really two new holidays that we haven't declared, but they've pretty much been declared. It's implied. And that's Black Friday and Super Bowl Sunday. Why? Because they glorify the two idols of our culture, consumerism and entertainment. I'm not against watching the Super Bowl. Hey, 1 o'clock, I'm watching the Giants today. I'm not against that. But it's saying something. It's saying what our culture considers important and how our culture defines blessedness. And we've got to watch out for the kingdom of God 
is not like that. You see, in the kingdom of God, it's this great paradox that sharing the burdens of others is the pathway to blessedness. The world tells us to, to avoid burdens, to separate yourself from others because others have pains and heaviness. and Don't take that on. Life's hard enough. But in the kingdom of God, those who seek only blessing are burdened while those who share the burdens of others are blessed. We can also offer up our own burdens and let them be transformed into opportunities to be blessed by God. There have been some great writers that have captured this. To me, one of my favorites is um, Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol. There's a, there's a scene in The Ghost of Christmas Future, right? If you know the play, where Scrooge is now looking at the Cratchit family. He knows that Bob Cratchit, his employee, has a very sick son, a very sick child named Tim. And he's now being brought into the future in the Cratchit family. And the context of this in the actual play is the family is reading from the Bible. They're reading the New Testament, one of Dickens' favorite passages from the Gospel of Matthew, and it says, and he took a little child and had him stand among them. And the women are sewing, but they're sewing their mourning clothes because the little boy has died. And they're waiting for the father to arrive. So they're waiting for Bob Cratchit to arrive, but he's late in coming home. And his oldest son says, but I think he walks a little slower than he used to. And his mother says, I've seen him walk very fast with Tim upon his shoulders. You see, that's the great paradox, because shouldn't you be able to walk faster when you don't have to carry him? Right? The world tells us that having to carry his son slowed him down. It's heavy. It's a weight. Right? In the kingdom of God, it's the, it's the carrying of others that quickens our step. It gives us capacity to keep on walking. See, that's the paradox that we're in. I mean, you probably know this from your life. I was thinking about this because, um, oops, that's not good. Um, my wife brought up this little Christmas present that was given to our sons many years ago by, by a homeless man that we befriended. And it's this little Christmas tree that you flip the button, the tree starts singing. It's quite irksome. But we would never give up that tree because the man who became our friend, his name was Al Charles, and he was this broken-down street guy. Had MS, could barely walk, lived on the streets, would live in boarding houses. Just a broken-down man, and he, he fell in love with my boys, and he became a teacher to them. And he taught them about being grateful. I remember hearing him say to my sons, what's it like to have parents who love you? What's it like? What's it like to have a house? To have a yard? And so my sons, instead of being caught up in that insidious middle-class game of comparison what others have versus what you have, my boys got this incredible gift of this broken-down guy saying how blessed you are. And we would go to, the, we would take him to these diners, just me and the boys and him, and he would, he would take the money he had up in his pocket, right? And he had no money, he was, he was a street guy. I don't know where he'd get the money, and he'd put it down for the waitress's tip. And, and he would say to the boys, I can hear him now, he'd say, boys, do you, do you see that waitress? 
She doesn't even make minimum wage. Don't ever give the minimum tip. Your generosity could make the difference between her getting her children a toy or paying her bills. Don't you ever give just the minimum. And then he would take all the money in his pocket and he'd put it on the table. And I'm going to tell you, my son's never heard a more profound word in all the church services and all the youth conferences and certainly in all the advice from their sometimes ego-driven father. As they heard from that broken down man taking all the money in his pocket saying, do you see that waitress? Because that's the kingdom of God. He's not a servant. She's not here to do your bidding. She's a real person with real struggles. And you get to choose in this moment whether to ease those struggles or add to them. Incredible message. And he died a few years ago. Hard death. And in a certain way, life's a lot easier without him. He was hard to move around, and he would call you up at nighttime and say, I haven't eaten. He didn't smell good. And yet we talk about him all the time. And we admit we're diminished. Because he's not here anymore. So the kingdom of God is... If you try to find blessing, you get burdened. But if you dare to carry burdens, you find a, a blessedness. I've learned that at the mission, right? Because I, I think I said the last time I was here, we, we made a decision at the mission. We're at this crossroads to say we don't want to grow. We want to deepen. You know, growth is good. Growth has its place. But growth isn't really the kingdom of God. But deepening, that's the kingdom. But let me tell you something. Deepening scary because there's scary, troubling things under the surface. There's also beautiful things under the surface, and if you want to grasp them and hold them, you've got to get underneath and go deep. And so we had a gathering this Thursday called Graduates Fellowship, and had about 30-some people came on that very cold night to have dinner at the mission. And here's 30 former residents all gathered in this room. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have mixed emotions about that. Because part of me says, maybe it's better that they just move on. You know, I, I'll pick and choose the memories I have of them. But, but when they come, they come with, with their reality. And so there were praise reports. There were reports about new jobs and discovering career and being reunited with family and, and purpose and faith in Christ and, and joy and all that stuff was, was very real. And at the same time, there was a heaviness because one of the men who was at last year's Christmas party recently died from a heroin overdose. And some crummy motel on State Street. Another guy couldn't make it because his COPD is so bad he can't walk across the street. Another person talked about battling cancer and a very sweet, wonderful lady talked about her fears of losing her memory and how frightened she was about that. We gotta make a decision. Are we gonna see that as a burden? that maybe we have to pay a little more attention to her now? 
Maybe we have to get a little more involved. We have to go a little deeper. And there's a part of me that doesn't want to go there. But that would be tragic. Because that is the path of blessedness. So your Christmas season, no doubt there are plenty of burdens that you face. Health, finances, strained relationships, the needs of family. It's easy to go through this Christmas season and think how much better it would be if we didn't have these problems. Now I will admit these burdens may keep your Christmas from being perfect or easy or maybe even merry. But friends, in Christ and with Christ, nothing can keep our Christmas from being blessed. For God loves you and is with you. The angel appeared to the shepherds. It was cold. It was dark. And they were living in the fields. And they were afraid. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. The promise to the shepherds was not that their problems would go away, that they would suddenly be able to move from those cold fields with the sheep into a nice warm house in Bethlehem, that suddenly their profession would go from being looked down upon and outcast to now being celebrated, that they would suddenly be culturally moved from marginalization and disenfranchisement to being in the middle of things. In fact, there wasn't a single promise that their circumstances would change at all. The promise was they were not alone anymore. That they mattered to God. That God loved them so much he came to save them. That's the same promise to us today. That's the gift. That's the blessing. And so I can say to each of you, have a blessed Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, there are some burdens we carry that really can't be a blessing, um, but you ask us to carry them anyways. And Mary's such a good example. She just stood at the cross. And she just kept watch. And so, Lord, sometimes the best we can do for you is just keep watch. But, oh, Lord, you love faithfulness and you celebrate it. Lord, as we move from our own burdens, help us to also embrace the burdens of others. Let us not buy the cultural lie that the good life is somehow being spared those burdens. Let us dare to go deep, to carry them and have ours be carried as well. Trusting in your kingdom as Mary showed and as Jesus showed and all the saints through the ages have shown. And in your kingdom, those who seek to be only blessed or burdened are those who dare share the burdens of others are truly blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.